The whole idea behind evidence-based policymaking is to get the data to show what works and what doesn't work, which will include programs that we spend tens of millions of dollars on. In this age of big data, it might surprise you that most federal government programs still rely mainly on household surveys. Yes, we still track the success of welfare, unemployment, and many other safety net programs by simply asking people about their experiences one by one. But the quality of the data from those surveys is rapidly declining, making it difficult to get a clear picture of which programs are really working and which are not. So what do we do? Well, get better data. That's the opinion of Bruce Meyer, the McCormick Foundation professor at Chicago Harris. Professor Meyer, thanks for being here. Oh, well, thank you. Professor Meyer has been working with members of Congress to make existing data more available in places it would be most valuable. And as we'll hear, that could usher in a new age of hard, evidence-based policy craft in Washington. Right now, we have many government data sets, many collected through surveys of households and others created as sort of byproducts of the administration of programs that contain information on recipients of programs and how much they got and when and and similar information. And the survey part of our collection of data is deteriorating over time. People are less willing to answer questions on surveys. They're less willing to initially let someone interview them when they get to sensitive questions. They're less likely than in the past to answer those questions. And when they give answers, they're less likely to give accurate answers than they did in the past. I think the reason behind this is that people are over-surveyed. You get surveyed when you stay in a hotel, you rent a car, when you buy anything online, uh, when you see a doctor. You're, You're likely to get a survey, and it's no longer a thrill to have someone come ask you about your life, um, it's more of a burden. And I think people are less willing to take the time to give good answers right. than in the past. And what, so what kind of things do we need this information for? What kind of things are these uh, yes. data used for? So we use household surveys for all kinds of information. We collect our unemployment rate, our poverty rate, our rate of inflation through household surveys. And those numbers get used in designing our major policies, our macroeconomic policies to uh, control inflation and encourage high employment. Those numbers get used in indexing government benefits like Social Security and tax brackets. Now, those are administrative uses. In terms of policy, most of what we know in social science, I'd argue, has come from surveys of households. So we use them in social science research and economics and sociology and political science to know what people are doing in response to programs, what their education is, what their employment rates are, how they spend their time, how they spend their money. All of those things come from household surveys. And that infrastructure to know about how 
the economy is operating and how government programs are working or not working has been decaying over time. Can you think of an example in your own work where this has really compromised the results of a finding? Absolutely. So I've done a lot of work with uh, James Sullivan, a professor at the University of Notre Dame, on poverty and inequality. If you want to look at the material circumstances of people at the bottom, you need to know what government programs they're receiving because we spend more than a trillion dollars a year on programs that reach low and and middle-income people. Things like welfare, social security, unemployment insurance, workers' comp, disability insurance. And if you want to look at the situation of those people at the bottom, you need to know what government programs they're receiving. Unfortunately, in our major surveys, people aren't responding when they are recipients. They're either just saying they're not receiving a government program when they're a true recipient, or it could be that just, you know, the interviewer feels pressed for time and, and skips over questions. And, and the um, information on receipt of government programs by low-income people in our surveys is really quite poor. And how, um, how poor? Sure. In our most used survey, that's the source of our official income and poverty statistics, only about half of people that receive food stamps report it, and under 40% of those that are receiving cash welfare, temporary assistance for needy families or general assistance, are reporting it. So the share of dollars that's missed in these surveys is, you know, about half in the case of food stamps and quite a bit more than half in the case of cash welfare. So if you want to know how the people at the bottom are doing and who is in particular is poor, you will get a very bad picture of that from our surveys without additional information from administrative data. And how, how were you able to figure out those numbers? Um, so with other colleagues, I have been analyzing our main household surveys linked to government program data. And this has to be done in a secure setting. Um, We don't actually know anybody's personal identification information, but the Census Bureau uses some of that to link the data and then passes it on to us in an anonymized form that we then analyze in a secure uh, research data center. And these data that have both survey information and administrative information on program receipt allow us to compare what a person said in a survey to what they were actually receiving from the government. Um, So when we do that, we find these surprising results, at least to some, that in our main government surveys, it looks like the poverty rate is much higher than it really is. Second, it looks like these programs are much less effective than they are 
because much of their receipt is missed in our surveys. In addition, it looks like a lot of people who you might think should be receiving these programs aren't. So late last year, one of my co-authors, James Sullivan, was talking with Congressman Paul Ryan, uh, now chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, and they found that they had common interest in evidence-based policymaking and that one of the ways that they could further the idea of improving how we evaluate government programs is to provide better data to figure out whether or not programs work or don't work. So they hit upon the idea of setting up a commission that would look into ways that administrative data could be made more widely available to administrative agencies that are administering the programs, deciding whether or not programs should be expanded or contracted, and researchers both in government and and outside government. And so along with a group of other academics, we have on several occasions talked with the staff of first the Budget Committee, now the Ways and Means Committee, and we have tried to help out in making suggestions on how the bill could be structured and how a commission could be organized in a way that would be productive, that would bring in the relevant stakeholders and bring in people with the right expertise on the use of data and the ways to keep it secure and uh, confidential. And so it's been quite enlightening to me. I've never been involved in drafting legislation before. Mm -hmm. So it was very interesting, I will say, to see the different elements of a bill and what needed to go into it for it to be broad yet specific enough that it would cover the relevant uh, issues and still leave a lot of latitude for the members of the commission to figure out what they're going to do. Seeing that put into legislative language, I thought, was, was really quite, quite fascinating. So the bill was introduced to the previous Congress, it, w- it was introduced in November in the lame duck session, mm-hmm. right before the end of Congress, and it didn't make its way through the legislative process. And it was reintroduced last month, and it's co-sponsored by both Senator Patty Murray and Congressman Paul Ryan, a Democrat and a Republican. And this is a good example of a bipartisan effort. They're both interested in having better data to look at what programs are effective and what programs aren't. Both see the value in making sure that our government dollars are spent well and that we can find ways to improve the working of social programs. Mm-hmm. What kind of folks are going to be on this commission? Well, we don't know, but the commission calls for people who are program 
or data experts, and then people who are experts on confidentiality and security of data. There would be people appointed by both parties, representatives in the House and in the Senate, and three members of the commission would be appointed by the president as well. Uh, what do you expect to be the biggest challenge that this bill is going to face? The bill was written to produce a report very quickly, and that's both a blessing and a curse. It means that if the commission is established, we will have some recommendations from it very quickly, within 15 months of when the commission is, is established. But that means the commission would have to work very quickly. And getting 15 people to agree on something, well, it doesn't have to be all 15, but there are supermajority requirements on the recommendations. So there are a lot of issues in figuring out how to encourage the use of administrative data without infringing on the prerogatives of various administrative agencies in Washington, and to balance making the data available to researchers and also protecting its confidentiality. So I think that the first order of business would be to make the case for the value of the data and why it's so important that if we want government to run well, if we want to spend our trillions of dollars effectively, that we need these data to evaluate programs. And do you, um, do you think that's a tough sell? Well, I don't think it should be a tough sell. But often people think that you can decide whether programs are effective just based on ideology. Some you know, will argue that government always does the right thing uh, and that instituting a government program is bound to make things better. And others will argue that government always messes things up. And we know that neither extreme is true. But not everyone completely buys into that. And the whole idea behind evidence-based policymaking is that you want to get the data and the analyses of the data to show what works, which will only be some programs, and what doesn't work, which will include some of the programs that we spend tens of millions of dollars on. And while I don't think it should be hard to make the case that that's the way things are in the world, that's one of the first, I think, things that the commission needs to do, because it, that needs to be loud and clear. There are many government data sets that are held by one agency and not available to another agency or many government data sets that haven't been linked to survey data, even though there are no legal prohibitions against it. So one of the goals of the commission, I hope, 
will be to make the case that administrative data that is just sitting in an agency and not being analyzed or not being made available to outside researchers um, has a lot of value in terms of being able to improve our programs and that it can be done in a way that ensures that confidentiality of the data is not breached. So today there was an op-ed in the New York Times by someone in the Obama administration, Jason Furman. He's the chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. And he wanted to point out that there are many cases where government programs have had substantial effects on the lives of people. Mm -hmm. And he cites a couple of papers that I wrote. And those two papers show that there are long-term effects of Medicaid on health. And the particular findings that Jason Furman cited in the op-ed were that when you provide Medicaid to children, their mortality when they are late teens and their frequency of hospitalization when they're quite a bit older, when they're 25, is lower so that there are long-term health improvements from providing Medicaid to children. So it's difficult to evaluate these policies like Medicaid, but they can have profound beneficial effects over a long period of time. You need the ability to access administrative data. In the first case, it was mortality information. In the second case, it was hospitalization information. You need to be able to access that kind of data if you want to look at long-term effects of programs. And the ability to link the administrative data to something about individuals is often crucial to being able to analyze the effects of a policy. In our case, several government policies in the 1990s changed Medicaid eligibility for people who were born after September 30, 1983. And if you want to be able to analyze the effects of those policies, you need to know whether or not they were subject to the policy. So you need to know someone's birth date. And in order to get access to information on birth dates, we had to use the information on mortality in a secure research data center where we had to go through several security doors to get access to the data. And we could not remove any information from the room until it had been cleared by Census Bureau officials. And that ensures that any private information about individuals is protected and that confidentiality is not breached. In fact, my co-author and I both had to go through high-level security clearances where we're, we get fingerprinted. We and some of our acquaintances were interviewed by the FBI as part of the security clearance. Wow. So it's done in a way to 
ensure that the data are protected. Mm -hmm. And many of these data sets that are, say, in a government agency or survey data that have been collected by the statistical agencies in Washington, many of these data sets are not widely shared, even within the government, and many of them cannot be currently linked together to get a fuller picture of a person's or a household's situation. And this commission, hopefully, if it is constituted, would make data much more widely available to researchers within government, government agencies, and outside researchers. Professor Meyer, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening. This episode of Radio Harris was produced by me, Jake Smith, with music from A Smile for Timbuktu, Dark Wizard, and Christian Bjorklund. Uh, If you enjoyed this, please check out the rest of our episodes and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks.